another episode of Radio Rounds, the podcast interview series presented by St. Louis Children's Hospital, covering pediatric topics of interest to doctors and healthcare professionals. Here's Melanie Cole. As the number of pediatric cancer survivors continues to grow, as treatments become more effective, considerations regarding the long-term effects of therapy on future fertility have become more important. My guest today is Dr. Holly Hefkin. She's an assistant professor in pediatric and adolescent gynecology and the co-director of the Integrated Care and Fertility Preservation Program at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Dr. Hefkin, what are some of the possible complications that can arise in a pediatric cancer patient in terms of fertility? So when our patients um, are going through their cancer treatments, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a rush to make sure that we can work towards their survival. But um, now that they're getting better, as you mentioned, um, our concerns are that we can also have these effects on, on their gonads. And so um, this can lead to them having... Uh, not only a loss of fertility, but also a, a subfertility. And so we, we want to be talking to the patients in advance of their treatments, if at all possible, to make sure that they're aware um, of, the, of these risks. And if, if we can, to be able to talk to them about options to, um, to be able to preserve fertility in, in some of these patients. Speak about the field of pediatric fertility preservation a little bit, Dr. Hefkin, and and what makes you, based on your expertise, best suited for this specialty? Yeah, so the field of uh, fertility preservation in general is um, somewhat somewhat new. So as we've started to notice, you know, that there has has been the uh, loss of fertility in in patients. Um, <clears throat> we we've wanted to make a change in that, and you know, we there's studies that show that patients are definitely interested in talking about this loss of fertility. Um, you know, we see that about 75% of cancer survivors without children are, are interested in having children in the future, and we know that this is important in both male and female survivors, and not only whether or not they want to have children, but just having a knowledge of, of the risks um, of their treatments and the risk of infertility is important to them. And so both the, the governing bodies of, of physicians um, from the oncology world and the reproductive world, you know, have all put forth statements to say that we should be talking to patients about, about these risks and, and making options available to them. So um, as a gynecologist, you know, pediatric gynecologist by training, I, I obviously have, have more of a focus on our female patients, but... Um, I have worked closely um, in my previous institution as the lead of, of the previous fertility preservation program um, where we worked with both the male and female patients, and we would see all of the patients, talk to them about their risks of infertility, um, and then guide them through through the different options. And I led that program um, which was kind of a leader in the field, and now moving back to the St. Louis area, uh, wanting to bring that that same sort of a program here to St. Louis Children's Hospital. So you you said as early as possible in their treatment or even pre-treatment that you're discussing this preservation and it should be considered. Speak about the quality of evidence supporting current and forthcoming options for preservation. Speak a little bit about what you say to the families and to the children themselves if they're pre, you know, in prepubescence or even if they're going through puberty. What, how do you discuss this with them? 
Yeah, so basically we um, we come to the families and we're bringing to them the idea that, you know, even though we're, we're very focused on your treatment now, our goal is always to get your daughter or your son through their treatment, right? So we also want to talk about how their quality of life is going to be after their treatment. And, you know, I discussed with them that, that we do have studies showing that, that this is important to survivors. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're, we're talking about that. Um, and the risks are different depending on the treatment that patients are going through. Some, of, some treatments are very low risk for a future infertility, um, but other, um, other treatments such as bone marrow transplant or um, patients with high-dose radiation or certain types of chemotherapy can be very high risk. Um, and so especially in those patients, we want to make sure that they're aware um, of the fact that the treatment is high risk and the fact that there may be options uh, available to them. Um, and we talk to patients as, you know, as young as, as, you know, one-month-old infants and, and up to adults um, <clears throat> to be able to discuss the fact that, that, these, that these things are available. So let's speak about some of the options that are available to preserve fertility before treatment begins, and uh-huh. do these affect how well the cancer treatment works, whatever you're doing, the pre-treatment, whether it's menstrual suppression or contraception? Do any of these things affect cancer treatment? And then go into post-treatment, and how do you know if it's working? Yeah, so the options that we um, are talking to the patient about do not have an effect on their actual chemotherapy treatment. Um, the, you know, we, there's been concern before, you know, that we want to get the patient started on their chemotherapy and there's there's always a time limitation, right? Because we want to make sure that we're not delaying their therapy, which would be the one, uh, the one thing that, that there could be a hold on because, you know, obviously if we're trying to, um, if we're trying to be able to preserve the patient's fertility, sometimes this does take a little bit of time, and that would be the one thing where where we might cause an impact. Um, <clears throat> so we we do have a, a discussion with the patient's primary team um, to say what are what what is the what, how is this patient what is their what is their state or are we able to take the time to be able to have to ha- to offer them this, these treatments. Um, but when we look at patients, and, and so for a female patient, um, in a prepubertal patient, uh, we can offer them ovarian tissue cryopreservation, um, which is being able to uh, take the patient's um, ovary um, in a surgical manner and be able to freeze part of that ovary um, for the patient to then be able to go through their treatments and then at a later date free some of their ovary and then at a later date be able to use that. Currently, that tissue is being uh, reimplanted uh, back into the body, either on the ovary that's left behind um, or in the area where the previous ovary was. Um, but, you know, science is, is slowly improving to the fact that hopefully at some point we would also be able to just stimulate that ovary in a lab and, and be able to utilize some of those cells. Um, that is currently experimental, so, you know, there are, there are some uh, caveats to being able to provide that. Um, in our patients that are a little older, um, we are able to uh, preserve their eggs and their embryos, and then that, that can take a little bit of time and require some stimulation um, of the patient's ovaries. So that, you know, in, in patients who may have <clears throat> estrogen or progesterone, 
um, stimulatable cancers, we would not consider that, but that usually doesn't um, fall into our pediatric and, and adolescent um, in population. Um, and then for our male patients, um, for our older patients, you know, we are able to, to bank sperm for those patients who are able to provide a sample. And then in our prepubertal patients, um, as similar to how we are doing with the ovaries, um, we are able to um, take a sample of their testicular tissue and freeze that with the hopes that they can use that uh, in the future to provide uh, future fertility. Dr. Hefkin, when should a pediatrician refer to a specialist and explain a little bit about the role of the oncologist in advising patients about fertility preservation options? Yes. So what we're trying to create now uh, is a program where the referral base is actually coming through the patients which are new to the oncology center here at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Uh, so our goal would be to talk to all patients who, uh, who come through the uh, pediatric hematology and oncology department so that every patient that receives a new diagnosis is consulted to uh, the Integrated Care and Fertility Preservation Program. Um, I think that's important because even the patients who are low risk for infertility um, deserve the education of knowing that, right? They need, it's important for the patients to know that the chemotherapy I'm receiving does have a risk or the treatment that I'm receiving does have a risk to my fertility, but that risk is low. Um, up to the patients who are high risk and we're discussing some of these um, these preservation options. Um, and it's also helpful because the families um, discuss their treatments and they discuss what's happening when they're on the floor or when they're going through their treatments or in this age of social media, right, everyone is, is, is discussing and understanding what's going on in the people around them. And so if they, you know, see, well, you know, my neighbor was offered this treatment and I wasn't and why is that? Well, then they all understand, you know, why because they've each had a consult and they've, they've each understood that. So our goal is to make it so it becomes more automatic that every patient would, would receive that when, when they receive their initial diagnosis. If a child's already been through cancer treatment, is it too late to consider fertility preservation? And after treatment, how do you know if the child's fertility has been affected? Right. That's a great question. And absolutely not. We, uh, we want to make sure that there's an understanding that, you know, fertility preservation and, and this idea of, of the risk is something that we should talk about, you know, ideally we want to talk about it in the beginning, but it's a conversation that should, should continue throughout the spectrum of a patient's treatment. So we want to be available to the patients before, during, and after their treatment. Um, and uh, especially for our female patients, commonly I would like to see all of those patients at about a year after their treatment um, so that we can kind of reiterate this discussion again. And um, I like to see them again go over the risks that we talked about in the beginning. Um, we will usually do a little bit of a, a laboratory panel so we can see um, what what actually did happen to their fertility from their chemotherapy. So when we talked about the risk to their infertility um, before their treatment, we are saying this is the risk of what could happen. Um, after the fact, we're kind of trying to find out, okay, based on that risk, what do we see now? What actually, where are we with your fertility at this standpoint? 
Um, and then we do have options for those patients who either were not able to or who chose not to do fertility preservation options before their treatment. If they do still have fertility um, and are considered high risk for possibly um, continuing to lose some of that fertility function, that we can do um, offer options to patients either in the post-treatment phase um, or an inner treatment phase um, to allow them to, to make that choice at, at a separate time. Other than fertility, what other gynecologic concerns would you recommend discussing with pediatric and adolescent oncology patients, and what else would you like a referring physician to know about oncofertility preservation at St. Louis Children's Hospital? Yeah, so there, there's, a lo- there's a huge other part of what we do and, and what this program is going to be, um, and that is our, our gynecologic portion. So, um, you know, just like any other adolescent teenager, right, these patients are, are still in need of, of a discussion of their um, menstrual cycle needs and their contraception needs. And especially when patients are about to undergo chemotherapy, this is definitely the time that we want to make sure that we don't have an unwanted teen pregnancy. So in all of our pretreatment patients, we, we have a discussion about contraception and sexual health. Um, and making sure that we have a, a reliable form of contraception on board for patients for which that is, is necessary. Um, and also in many patients, depending on their diagnosis, um, there may be a concern that in patients who are going to have a very low blood count based on either their, um, their underlying primary diagnosis or on the treatment that they're going to receive, that having um, heavy menstrual cycles or having periods in general maybe more than their body is, is able to handle at that point. And so we talk about ways to um, help control their menstrual cycles during their treatment. So those are things that we talk to patients before and during their treatment. Um, the survivorship time is, is actually a very important time for patients to see a gynecologist because um, there's a lot of these sort of secondary effects of medication that can affect um, the gynecologic standpoint. So same as what we just discussed. We still talk about periods and we still talk about um, contraception. Um, But the same way that these medicines can affect the ovaries as far as fertility, they can affect the ovaries as far as the patient's hormones as well. So if a patient's ovary isn't functioning, they can also lose the hormones, which means that they may be in, you know, what commonly would be referred to as, as an early menopause. So we, we label that as a primary ovarian insufficiency. Um, and this is uh, even more important to make sure that we're taking care of in our adolescent patients um, because they're, they're growing their bones. They may not have fully developed um, prior to their, to their chemotherapy, and we want to make sure that we're getting them through all of those, those milestones um, and then there can be also worries as far as genital graft-versus-host disease and some other HPV-related diseases that can be very important in these patients. So there's a wide range of things that we need to see patients for and, and meet patients for um, in, that, in that realm. And um, as far as your questions for, for a general pediatrician, I think the survivor standpoint is, is really where a lot of this can fall back to, to the general um, pediatrician. Um, because once they start, you know, 
they're kind of no longer seeing their oncologist and maybe going back to, to their primary visits is when a lot of these late effects um, scenarios start to come up and may not even be noticed that that is a late effect of their chemotherapy. But if these things are coming, then we very much would, would like to see them back for, for those type of issues. Thank you so much for being on with us today. What a fascinating topic, Dr. Hefkin, and thank you so much for being with us. A physician can refer a patient by calling the Children's Direct Physician Access Line at 1-800-678-HELP. That's 1-800-678-4357. You're listening to Radio Rounds with St. Louis Children's Hospital. For more information on resources available at St. Louis Children's Hospital, you can go to stlouischildrens.org. That's stlouischildrens.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.